Well, hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, October the 21st. A lot going on. Trying <laughs> to keep a track are. of the days, Brian. <laughs> and uh, we are uh, in session 32 uh, of of our uh, whole church in the whole world. And so we are in the Gospel of Luke today, and we're excited that you're joining us once again for the Coffeehouse Theology Podcast. Pastor Jay Strother here with my good friend Brian Ball. And so, Brian, would you pray for us, and would you kind of bring us back up to, to speed? Absolutely. Father God, we are thankful. We are thankful for your grace, thankful for your Son that saves us, thankful for your Word, Father, and, and the anchor it gives us and all the chaos and all the stuff that's, that's going on around us, Father. We have both a place we can stand— and a way we can see the world, right? Because it gives us a worldview and a perspective to see the world in Christ-like ways. And so as we study the gospel of Luke and, and the direct story of Jesus' life on this earth, uh, help us understand how that changes how we see the world and, and how we can interact with the world, and, and in particularly in these times, uh, what Christ-likeness really means. And so, Father, bless us as we teach. Let us go here ch- from here changed. Don't leave mm-hmm. us the same. As we always encounter the truth, we should always be different. And so it's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 We spent so long in the Old Testament, we're finally in the New Testament. Right? Yeah, We've done, it's a, good. done a couple of Gospels. It just, as our staff was talking about in our Bible reading group yesterday, it feels like it's going so fast. Right. We're <laughs> like, well, we finally got to Jesus, and here, you know, here what we're... What do you mean we're going to be done with yeah, the we're Gospels? we're halfway through the Gospels right. already. Right, and that's, what, and that's what's so spectacular. We've looked at Mark and, and Matthew, now we're looking at the third synoptic Gospel, right, that was written off of, you know, we probably think Mark was a source, and then Matthew and Luke were written off that source. And so it, it's, it's wonderful that we've now got the synoptic view, and next week we'll look at John, which is not a synoptic gospel. But you know, it, where we've drawn into right is God's cover now in Act 3. Right, We went through Act 1 that was in the beginning, the creation, the fall, and the flood, and then through Act 2 through God's covenant people. Right? We walked through the patriarchs, the exodus, and the covenant, the promised land, the kings and the prophets, and finally the exile and the return. And then that set the stage right for God's new covenant people. We went through the intertestament period, and we saw and seen one Christ coming, God's true Messiah arrives, and we'll see some of that here at the beginning of Luke. But we're really now into Christ's ministry, where God's true king manifests his kingdom. So there's something different that's here now. There's something unique that's here now. And that's what the gospel writers see, and the gospel writers have unique perspectives. So how does does Luke see these things, especially compared to like Mark and Matthew? Yeah, well, you know, Brian, you did such a good job last week, you know, thinking about this this idea that we, we spent so long in the Old Testament you know, centuries, millennia of messianic expectation, right? And Matthew does such a great job of, of teaching us and showing us the fulfillment of oh, those prophecies. Yeah. And you did a great job of, of weaving your, you know, your own story and how that was really convicting and compelling to you. And so in a similar way, the, the gospel of Luke is the only gospel written by a Gentile. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, the gospel of Luke was written to be compelling to a world that didn't come from a Jewish background. Right. Now, of course, Luke appreciated that, um, but but being a Gentile himself, you know, and so he helps us understand some of that Jewish backstory where it's applicable and important. But he has a particular sensibility, you know, helping us see how the gospels for the whole world. Right. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, as I, I mentioned, joked about last week, this this in some ways is is my favorite gospel, and I joke because whatever gospel I'm studying or whatever book of the Bible becomes my <laughs> right. favorite for that moment, you know. 
just because of its beauty and richness. But but Luke in particular, the way the way many of us are wired, mm. you know, most of us don't come from a Jewish background. Right. Uh, many of us have been been trained in a Western worldview that looks at history. We love facts and order. We kind of had this idea of linear. We want to see everything put together. Uh, and so Luke certainly reflected the the sensibilities of his time in, in the Greek world. But but at the same time, Luke is 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 to our ears and eyes probably the most modern, like mm-hmm. the one that we can grasp the most. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it's just, just so, so effective. And so let's talk about him a little bit. Let's go through a little background. Let's uh, kind of go back to our who, when, whom, what, and why paradigm. Let's talk about who. And again, if you're not getting the handouts and you want this documented, just email us info at stationhillchurch.com. We'll be sure that you get those and you get on the list. But Luke was a Gentile physician who I love one commentator put it this way, writes with the compassion and warmth of a family doctor. Wow. So he had that kind of persona as he carefully documents the life of Jesus. Uh, one of the things that, that Luke did was he gave us two volumes, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and then the book of Acts. Uh, and so uh, they're separated in our Bibles, and so sometimes people don't realize that, but Luke wrote both of those volumes. And so Luke is actually a part of the biblical story in the book of Acts. But, but much like kind of the, the humble people, uh, humble person that he was, uh, and, and using the convention of the time, he, he doesn't make much about his appearance. He kind of subtly introduces himself uh, to the story as he begins, as Acts picks up uh, in chapter 16, using the word we. Right. And so that's how we know Luke entered the story. And so he was uh, a traveling companion of Paul. And he was with Paul, we know, during both of his Roman imprisonments. So his, Paul's first imprisonment was kind of more of a house arrest. Um, and he was his beloved physician. Uh, that's in Colossians 4.14 and Philemon verse 24. And then 2 Timothy 4, which we looked at as a church as we walked through 2 Timothy, uh, reminded us that that during Paul's second imprisonment, the one where he was in a dungeon, uh, sentenced to die, that, that Luke alone was with him. So Luke was very loyal. He was very faithful uh, to Paul, uh, even in the, the, the face of personal danger to himself. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, he's the only Gentile contributor to the New Testament, and so that's important for us to remember. Uh, and church tradition tells us that he was from Syrian Antioch. Uh, he remained unmarried. The, the ministry kind of was his life, uh, and he died at 84 years old. And he's a unique voice, right? That being a Gentile gives him a unique voice. And so the Luke Acts volume is a, is a, is a rich perspective that's almost kind of an, uh, I don't want to say undercurrent, but it just kind of a, a parallel current yeah. because it's a different framework from the Judeo uh, worldview that Paul brings, right? right? And Peter brings that are, that, and John brings, right? That are so, that, that are, there's almost things that are assumed in there that Luke Luke brings out to us and, and and says this is the way you know Judaism works. Yeah. This is the way some of these traditions work. Yeah, and thinking you know apologetically, some people have a hard time with that, right? Like, well, Luke wasn't there; he wasn't an eyewitness. Right. But here's what we do know: you know, was that he he was uh, you know privy to having conversations with eyewitnesses. Right. And as you know, and I know, if you know, two or three of us saw an auto accident. In the moment, we would each like start spitting details, and and we would all have kind of our own vantage point, but we're really close to the situation. 
you know, the police are going to come along. They're going to write a report. They're going to kind of draw out the big picture details. Right. And over time, that story of what happened in that moment, right, there's almost a different kind of clarity that comes by examining it that's with some objectivity. And that's really what Luke does. Yep. And that's what's so brilliant yep. about this. So he wasn't an yep. eyewitness of the events in his gospel, but he relied on the testimony of eyewitnesses right. and on written sources, he says. Right. So so that's even affirming, right, about the canon and about the, the early Bible, you know, new version of the New Testament that the church had that, that he used these sources uh, to be able to draw from. It's highly likely. It, it, when when did Luke have time to do this? Well, remember Paul was in prison for two years in Caesarea Philippi near the end of the Book of Acts. So Luke, making the most of that time, being in Palestine traveled around and interviewed a lot of the first generation of Christians. And so it's so fascinating, right, to see how the New Testament, you begin to put those pieces together and you see, you know, all that God was doing during that time to to advance the witness of the gospel and to ensure the writing of these stories. Well, and some of his unique perspective, I mean, you talk about him, he probably got to talk to Mary. Because we see some things that are uniquely from Mary's perspective Absolutely. in his gospel, yeah. and that and and what a what a well, one what a what a you know progressive in terms of women right sure. lifting up women um, that is and two it what a beautiful perspective to yeah. get a mom's perspective right the yep. mother of, of Christ perspective yeah Luke includes things. little phrases like and Mary treasured Treasure. these things in her heart. heart oh yeah like no dude writes that That's unless exactly he right. hears it right from from you know <laughs> from, from, from the original mouth, source right. you know itself but it was so moving to him yeah. I think that he he was compelled to include that I agree and so mm. uh, really really strong stuff so it's likely that Luke wrote during uh, Paul's first Roman imprisonment then uh, in the late 60s. So after, after you know, Paul is, is sentenced, then he goes to Rome uh, to, to, to fulfill his sentence. And so uh, Luke is with him and probably takes that time now, you know, to, to pull together all of his, you know, notes he made in his journals and his, his eyewitness uh, accounts. And th- there's some scholars who think it might have happened later, but, but I think that idea of it being written in the late 60s is pretty accurate. Uh, to whom? This is an interesting one because Luke, right, specifically in the first few verses tells us that he was writing this to quote the most excellent Theophilus, uh, which is is interesting. So the title probably indicates that the name Theophilus means friend of God. So it's likely, I think, that in history there was a guy named this. Uh, he was probably a man of high social standing. That's why that term, you know, the ex- his excellency is used. And he was probably also likely a man of means who probably paid for the cost of publishing mm-hmm. Luke and Acts so that they could be distributed uh, through the Gentile world. Th- there are some scholars who think that maybe this was uh, Luke's way of signaling friend of God was was to, to the church, to all people who, who wanted to know more about Jesus. Um, and, and it was a convention in the, the Greco-Roman world to write a, a historical narrative as if you're writing a letter to a person. So it's possible, but I think it's maybe a little bit of a both end. I, I think Paul or Luke was probably writing specifically to someone he knew um, who was a benefactor. And yet at the same time, he certainly had an eye for the fact that this was going to be read far and wide. Right. He, he was writing specifically to him broadly. Yes. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. And so what is it? Well, Luke's gospel, get this, is the longest book in the New Testament. Uh, it's kind of easy to overlook that. So the combined two-volume set of Luke and Acts makes up 20 uh, 28% of the entire New Testament. Wow. So Luke barely edges out Paul as the most prolific author. Uh, that makes Luke the author of 2,138 verses of the New Testament. Paul just behind him at 2,033. 
Knowing Paul's nature, if he had been counting, I'm sure he would have put in another 100 <laughs> yeah, verses. Probably so, right. Yeah. And of course, we know that the verses weren't added until <laughs> right, several right, hundred years right. later for the benefit of all of us. So, right. we, you know, we could be able to find, which is really an ingenious invention. But but the reality is, is that Luke was a scholar. He was well-trained. He writes in the most refined Greek, with maybe the exception of, of Hebrews in the New Testament. He translates Aramaic terms with Greek words, explains Jewish customs and geography for understanding, uh, and his most striking feature is probably his strong interest in people, yeah. that, that the gospel of Jesus, he wanted to be sure it connected to people. And so he really does present Jesus as the Savior of the whole world. He relates how the gospel impacts Jews and Samaritans, Gentiles. And so he, he does, it's not just one-dimensional. It's not just one people group. He, he helps us understand how the gospel impacted lots of different people groups, as well as the rich and poor, the respected and the despised, the, the insiders and the outsiders. It's, it's, it's compelling. Well, and lots of dimensions that as a good Jew, right, you wouldn't play on. But as a Gentile, he has a different different bent on these That's things. That's right. Different sensibility. So the big question, right, is always the why when we're thinking about it. And I think he gives us that. And again, as a historian, I love this in <laughs> verse 4 of chapter 1 that Luke clearly states it, that you may have certainty, certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Wow. And so a couple of years ago, we did a series on apologetics and coffeehouse theology, you know, and Brian, you kept saying, we want to, to make you more sure right. of what you believe, right. because it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to get sidetracked and, and confused sometimes. So I love that Luke was saying, you know, man, Mark, which was probably written earlier, and he may have had access to, and, and Matthew as well, but, but I want to be sure there's an orderly account right. for people to understand that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Awesome. So he wanted to create this accurate, chronological, comprehensive account to strengthen the faith of believers and as a witnessing tool to bring saving faith to unbelievers. Uh, And and there was probably another purpose in this as well, thinking about the context he's writing again alongside of Paul in Rome. Uh, Persecution is being ramped up against the early church. He also probably wanted to demonstrate to his Roman readers that Christianity was not a political threat. Mm -hmm. In other words, their goal was not to just overthrow Caesar, right? They they had another kingdom in mind altogether, uh, and early Christians were, were misunderstood. Understood. A quick example of this is that in chapter 23, three times Luke records Pilate's acknowledgement, and henceforth representing the Roman Empire, that Christ was innocent and did not deserve to die. So just one, one example of that. So it's always fascinating, right, because there's always a main purpose, but then there's these other themes that emerge, and we'll come back to those after looking a little more closely at the book. But Brian, let's look at a quick outline of the Gospel of Luke. As I mentioned, out of all of the Gospels, Luke's is the most historical and chronological. And so if you're used to history books, if you're used to even, you know, uh, uh, you know narrative, um, you know, th- this is going to make more sense to you the way he lays out the story. So Luke wanted to, to, to you know, help under, people understand the life of Jesus. And, and so you see these, these tracks like a, a good screenwriter or a good novelist. You, you see the growing belief of people in Jesus and, and the opposition of him developing side by side, that tension building. Those who believe his claims are challenged to to count the cost of following him, uh, and those who oppose him won't rest until he hangs on a cross. But the resurrection assures that his ministry of seeking and saving the lost will continue through his disciples once they are equipped with the Spirit's power. Right. And so we also have that theme in Luke, you know, because, again, it carries over into Acts. So a real quick kind of four-part outline. Uh, if you, like me and Brian, it, it helped by having a framework. We see Advent. 
the introduction of the Son of Man, and it's in Luke's Gospel that we get the, the most famous retelling of the birth of Jesus, the one that we love to, to recite at Christmas time. Uh, the second part is his activities. So from the, the middle of uh, chapter 4, uh, we see his teaching and his public ministry introduced. Uh, we see the ministry of the Son of Man uh, up through uh, near the end of chapter 9. And then we see these, again, these parallels, uh, you know, the opposition growing to him as there is antagonism and admonition as he is rejected by his own people uh, and the leaders. That's chapters 9 uh, into chapter 19 through the, the middle of uh, or chapter 9 through the end of uh, middle of chapter 19. Get my Numbers straight here. And then application and authentication. Uh, the crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of Man takes us from uh, the middle of 19 through the end of the book, uh, chapter 24. So the key passage and verse, if you're looking for a thesis, you know, Luke's purpose in writing that you may know for sure, that you may have certainty, but really the, 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 the way he wants to present Jesus, we find in chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Amen. Yeah, I, I, no, and I love the I love the parallel when you talk about the parallel opposition and support because that what you see is Jesus is divisive, right? And and he's divisive today. Uh, he he will be offensive to people whose sensibilities are not like ours. But he came right. There's a, the single purpose he came was to seek and save the lost yeah. because we're all lost and to bring us home. But there are people that don't want to bend to his his commands or yeah. to his will and do it their way. And so I think it's it's beautiful how Luke accurately portrays the way Jesus' ministry will come to fruition in the world. Absolutely. And, you know, and it makes really, in a sense, as his disciples, our mission simple. Right. Our mission is to simply join Jesus right. as he <laughs> seeks and saves that which was lost. Right. You know, we don't have to go far to right. find our purpose in life if you're, you're a follower of Jesus. It's Amen. right there for us. So, so let's look at a, a couple of big buckets, uh, about five of them, uh, of, of sections of, of the Gospel of Mark. The first is the first couple of chapters, the birth and the childhood of Jesus. Uh, Luke's gospel gives us the most detailed account by far around the events leading up to and surrounding the birth of Jesus. Um, you know, I, I think this was important for a couple of reasons, versus like the gospel of Mark just whoosh, jumps right into to Jesus's ministry and life, you know, introduces John the Baptist, but here we go in chapter one. By this time, the, the writing of the gospel of Luke, I think there was much more interest in, in these stories, you know, right. kind of the origin story, so to speak, of, of Jesus. And, and and it was interesting that during those times, of course, it's very common for the heroes, the Greek-Roman heroes, to have these elaborate origin stories, you know, that were obviously fluff and, and made up and, you know, just, you know, outrageous in lots of different ways. And so, again, instead of leaving that to rumors that might pop up, pop up about Jesus, and we find those in some of the false gospels, you know, there, there are books that were written in subsequent centuries that people People claim to be the lost gospels, and they have these sensational stories about the childhood of Jesus, you know, him bringing birds back to life as a little kid and all these things. I think it's actually really compelling that Luke said, no, no, I want to go back and set the record straight. Right. Let's let's fix the attention, you know, and again, talking properly to Mary and others was able to, to give us a more detailed account of the birth of Jesus, which is powerful. So Luke's skill is really on display here, Brian, as he intertwines the ancestry, the birth announcements, and the temple presentations of both Jesus and John the Baptist. So he gives us, you know, kind of this scene back and forth with Jesus and John the Baptist and how their stories intertwined. Well, because that's what they did. 
did, right? I mean, that's what that's what the the, the forerunner and the Christ were doing. Yeah. And so it's beautiful that he did it even from the beginning. Yeah. Right. Even from before they were before they were born. Yeah. And right? and again, a, a mom's perspective. Right. She would have remembered, you know, oh, yeah. uh, about Elizabeth and, and John the Baptist. Right. And so you see, and especially in this early part, you see so much of what had to be Mary's eyes. Yeah. What had to be Mary's eyes through this, and that, what a beautiful perspective to get. Yeah, right. and you know, it's Luke alone that gives us these four beautiful yeah. hymns in just these coupling of uh, opening chapters. So you see Luke really uh, appealing not only, you know, I mean, he's a historian, but he's also appealing to, to the senses, right, to the heart. You know, when when he he gives us these the, these beautiful songs, the the Magnificat of Mary, um, we get the Benedictus of Zacharias, the the Gloria of the heavenly host, uh, and what's called the the Nuke Dimittis of Simeon. And so you have these four just eruptions of praise songs, you know, surrounding the the birth of Jesus, and they're just compelling and powerful. And so, you know, one thing to note is the universal impact of Jesus's birth. Uh, chapter 2, verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All the people. All, right? All, All the people. people. Yeah. And so, yes, yes, first to Israel and then to the rest of the world, but but Luke is clear about telling us this is for all the people. And Simeon's song really gives us another kind of summary of, of Luke's key message in addition to, to chapter 19, verse 10, in chapter 2, verses 30 through 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared for the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Mm. So another really beautifully poetic way to put the mission of Jesus. And and Luke gives us those only narratives that we have of Jesus' childhood. Uh, you know, mostly his, his dedication at the temple. Um, and then, of course, you know, the infamous story where they lost Jesus. <laughs> right. We can always imagine the, the stress of that moment on Mary and Joseph. Well, make, make some of our parenting mistakes feel a little more miscule, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. In that context. You have I'm lost the Son of God. Yes. So, okay, no, no pressure. Yeah, no, yeah. No pressure. And, and where do they find him? Of course, he's in the temple. Right. And, and, you know, the significance of that story is, is a couple of fold, Brian. One is we see that Mary and Joseph were very faithful uh, to raise him in a home of faith. Right. They, they, they practiced the feast and the festivals. You know, even by this time in the first century, a lot of Jewish people were going through the motions. Right. But, but Jesus was raised in a home of faith. You know, but of course, we also see that you know the age twelve for a Jewish young man is the pivotal year. Yep. You're called a son of the law because at thirteen you become a man. Right, and so we already see Jesus right developing, as it says, in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Mm. Yeah, and and those details, like you say, counteract all the supernatural. You know, false gospel, supernatural teachings to show while it was an ordinary upbringing, this was no ordinary man. Good word. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lots of stuff that we could cover, but but one of the things that, that I want to jump to is in chapter 10, uh, we've got the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, because it's only Luke. This is probably one of Jesus's most famous parables, but it's only Luke that gives us that parable. And one thing that a lot of us miss, a lot of us are familiar with the parable, but that we miss that it came out of the famous exchange between Jesus. Jesus and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees about which commandment is the most important. And so isn't it interesting? We all know the answer, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, quoting from from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then Jesus quotes from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. But Luke had a particular interest, didn't he, in defining who neighbor was. Right. That's because, consistent with his gospel. Right, because Judaism it was a closed system. That's right. right? Your neighbor was your fellow Jew. Yes, 
but but Luke is going to tell us something slightly different. <laughs> just slightly just a little different. different, right? So the lawyer knew the right answer, but he was looking for a loophole. Right? Right. <laughs> so rather than loosen the definition of a neighbor, Jesus radically expands it. The lawyer never expected Jesus to define his neighbor as a hurting man in a rough part of town from a dif- different ethnic group, a hated one, right, yep. who, who needed his compassion. Yep. And so the story so beautifully illustrates, of course, the brokenness of a sinful world. We see there in in chapter 10, verse uh, 30, uh, where it says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And so, you know, the reality is, is we live in a broken world where those kind of things happen all of the time. Number two, but the emptiness of religion without love. So a priest is going down and, of course, sees the guy, passes to the other side. So likewise, a Levite, who was a little lower down the totem pole but served, you know, in the temple, just couldn't offer the sacrifices. He came and saw him and passed by on the other side. And so we, we see that, right? That's, that's religion without love. These guys should have known better. Right. But we see that but we see that today where you get so focused on a certain ministry that the beaten and half you have to walk around all these beaten and half dead people to get what you're supposed to be doing. Right. To which you have to pause and go have have you oh, have you looked upon Jesus, right? And yeah. looked around, which is what these two failed to do. Yeah. And then verse 33 is the hinge, but a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. That word that's used of Jesus many times, right? So he is Christ-like in this, means moved deeply, right? Not just, you know, oh, man, I feel sorry for that guy, but move to action. Right. And what's radical about this to Jesus' audience was the Samaritans were hated. Right. These were heretics to them. Right. You know, they worshipped at a different place than Jerusalem. And it's interesting, right? Sometimes our enemies, like we expect to be our enemies. But the people who, you know, their 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 religion is similar than ours, but it's it's off a notch or two. Sometimes our, our greatest, you know, frustration and anger is directed towards those people who we think don't don't have it all right. Right, because they're so close, right? The woman at the well says, Do yes. you, you you Jews worship in Jerusalem and right. we worship up on this mountain? Where's the right place to worship? Was her question. Yeah. Because they had almost set up a, well, they did set yeah. up a parallel temple. Yeah. And a parallel, so they were this parallel religion. So yeah. not only were they heretical, yeah. they were heretical the same way we were faithful. Yes. Right, which is incredibly frustrating. Yeah. And, and, and ethnically, <laughs> of course, the Samaritans were descended from Jews who had intermarried right. uh, with the pagan empires that overrun them. Right. So, is- so historically, Politically, religiously, they hated each other. Right. I mean, we're talking Hatfields, McCoys, but uh, on an even deeper level because right. it was very spiritual as well. Right. And so, man, for for Jesus to use a Samaritan, I mean, they they would have have you know almost choked at, at just the, the hearing of, of that word. And so, you know, we see the racism and prejudice there. That's what Jesus is pointing to, uh, you know. And, and and then he goes on to tell us what the Samaritan does in thirty four and thirty five. He went on, uh, he went to, to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeepers saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when you come back. Wow. And so then the question, right, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy, mercy. and Jesus said, go and do Likewise, wow. and so we we talked uh, several weeks ago about Micah six eight, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. What does God demand? What does He want? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Yeah. And the Samaritan, right. not the Jewish religious guys, right. are the is the example of of being the good neighbor. Yeah. 
shocking, startling, controversial, all of those things in one. Well, and they would have they would not have just been fed. They would have recoiled. I mean, they Absolutely. literally would have recoiled at a Samaritan. Any, any aspect of goodness being shown on a Samaritan. Yeah. And so that that sh- that had to be soul shattering, right? Mm-hmm. To to those that took that in, and they would either be hyper offended or or re- rethink what yeah. they're doing, right? Yeah. Again, hey, and that's the point, right? Jesus, Luke is clearly showing us that he shatters categories and stereotypes, right? And I cannot tell you how important that is in our world, in in which right now we have media and we have so many people really trying to exacerbate the us versus them, yep. and Jesus is in essence saying no. Your neighbor is not the person who looks like you, is your friend on Facebook, identifies with you politically and culturally and religiously. Your neighbor is whoever God puts in your path. That's exactly right. That's and that's exactly radical. Right. That it, it is, and it's incredibly hard to live. Yes. Right, because there's people he puts in our path that we'd rather not be there, to that's be perfectly exactly right. frank. Yeah. Right. But, but we know the Lord calls us to minister to them. Yeah. We know the Lord calls us to take them in and put them on our animal. That's right. Right. And use our oil and our wine to the buy the resources he's given us. That's right. And and to and to go beyond, right? Not only to be sure he is cared for longer term, right? Not just in the moment. He didn't bandage him up and leave him laying by the road. Yeah. And and I think that's a that's a witness to what we do as a ministry, that this is that is it is developing a relationship, not just a momentary exhibition of kindness. Yeah, yeah. And seeing the need and responding to the need. Right. And this is, is what's so important, I think, Brian, you know, because again, back in this day in first century, so much of the emotional energy was wrapped up and who's got God right, you right. know, and who's got the scriptures right and who's and Jesus says, Do what I put in front of you. Right. And that's what's right. Right. Like that's loving God and loving your neighbor, right? Right. It's obeying my command. And, and so, what if today, instead of being so wrapped up on which party has this right, on which you know person or celebrity has the right opinion, on which you know that, what if we simply opened our eyes and ministered to the people that God put right in front of us? What if that's where the majority of our our time and energy went? Well, imagine how unique that would make the church. Imagine how unique the church would look. It would almost be like we would produce kingdom fruit, like <laughs> right. like love, and radical. joy, and yeah. peace, yeah. and yeah. patience. But we, we get so hung up. And again, we, we believe we need to be informed about all the opinions, those kind of things. But, but the priority here is about seeing the need that God puts in front of you and meeting that need, being compassionate Amen. the way that Jesus is. Amen. And Amen. so, and, and, and again, that a Samaritan, do, uh, you know, a Samaritan can do that. Yes, you can do that. Anybody right. can do that. Exactly. So, all right, we're, we're getting to preach in here. I like it, but <laughs> I need to, we need to keep moving. Uh, because chapter 15 is epic. And oh, I, yeah. I just, if you, you want to go to uh, you know, the heart of the gospel, yeah. as so many have noted, um, these three parables in chapter 15 um, are really it. And, and don't miss the setup, right? That uh, in chapter 15, you've got tax collectors and sinners were all, there's that word again, all, drawing near to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Sometimes we jump to the parables and we forget the context. Jesus intentionally told these three stories with an earshot of these guys. And so he tells the story, of course, a a very simple story, right, of of, uh, the, the, the lost sheep and then the lost coin. 
and then the lost son, famously known as the prodigal son. And, and this word prodigal actually means recklessly extravagant and having mm-hmm. spent any, everything. And so that's why it's applied to the, the son. But it's why Tim Keller's and other theologians actually say this is a story of a prodigal God. Amen. Right? Who, Amen. who his spends is recklessly extravagant in his love and mercy and grace towards us. And so Jesus doesn't want to merely warm our hearts with these stories. These aren't warm, fuzzy stories to make us feel good. Oh, Jesus found the lost sheep, right? right. No, remember, he's telling these to disgruntled Pharisees right. to, to shatter their categories. Yep. Uh, and so the two audiences that day are the religious and the irreligious. But, but note this, right? Rightfully so, we know that Jesus is, is directing this at the Pharisees, but the irreligious don't have it right either. Right, and so and so Jesus is helping us understand both parties, and and in the famous story of the prodigal son, we can illustrate this with the two brothers. Mm. We've got the younger brother, the rebel, right, who wants his stuff. He just wants his dad to be dead. That's what it means. Give me my inheritance now. He's basically telling his father, you know, I want you dead so I can have my stuff, and so. Of course, to Jesus's original audience, man, this was just the the height of disrespect in a in a patriarchal society. You did not go to the patriarch and say, "I want my inheritance now." I wish you were dead. What would have been even more shocking in the parable in the story is that the, the father did granted it. it to him, right? <laughs> and and you didn't go to the bank account right then and just pull out your money, half your money, and give it to one of your sons. No, instead, you had to sell off everything. And so even the process of that, right, is just, just remarkable. It just sets up a remarkable story. Yeah. And so, of course, we know the story. The younger brother runs away, spends all his money, blows it, right, ends up feeding pigs, and he has this moment. And this is what I call the prayer for the prodigals, when he came to his senses. Yeah. And there are so many people, Brian, so many parents I talk to, of, you know, they, they've had their kids in church, their kids have, have rebelled, they've rejected the gospel, they've run away, and I simply join them in, in, in saying, I'm going to pray the prayer of the prodigal, yeah. that they will come to their senses sooner rather than later. Yeah. A yeah. lot of the translations say, he came to himself. Yeah. Right, and I, I love that phrasing of it because there's a way where if you raise up a child in the ways of the Lord, yeah. they will return. And that's returning to himself. That's right. And so he to his true identity, to, not to his false one that he's well, pursuing. Right. The identity his father gave him. Yep. Right is where he returns. Even, even my father's right slaves yeah. have have more than this and aren't, aren't doing these things. And yeah. so if I go back and humble myself yeah. before the father, right, he will treat me the same. Yeah. And that's exactly what God says. You know, when you when you come to yourself, when you come to realize who God says you are, who your father says you are. Yep. Then you can return humbly yeah. and repentant. Yeah, and, and he does, in a sense, of the younger brother has this plan, right? I'm going to ask to just be treated like a servant, because right. then at least I got a roof over my head and I got some food. But what we see is something far more beautiful, right? You know, we see that the father's been waiting, right? And it's fascinating. A lot of theologians note that there's a lot of times in the Bible that God is depicted as walking. You know, walks right. in the garden with Adam, those kind of things. We can walk with God, but this is the only time in the Bible that God is depicted as running. Yeah. And that's to welcome the lost son that's come home. Mm. And of course, he's lavish in his grace, right? Gives right. him his robe, you know, gives him his ring, you know, calls, calls for a feast, right. you know, all of these things. And it's this beautiful picture and it's startling to us. Right. And, 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 but the, the tragedy for some people is they, they stop the story there. Right. You know, and we love that and we should. The idea right. that God welcomes home, you know, the rebel, uh, that God, that God, you know, the, the, will welcome home the younger brother. But the story doesn't end there. It goes on to talk about the older brother as well. Right. And so the older brother, now we see his true, true spirit. We see that was the younger brother's welcomed home. The older brother is frustrated. He's angry. He won't come into the feast. Why? Because he's been the rule keeper his whole life. Right. I did everything right. 
I did everything right, and this is what I get, you know, and he's, he gets jealous, you know, you've never thrown a party for me and my friends, and yet I've been here doing the hard work, and man, that's the spirit, I think, Brian, that we find more often in the church today. Absolutely. That of the older brother, and so what's fascinating is Jesus leaves it on this cliffhanger, because the father comes out, don't miss this, and invites the older brother to come into the party as well. Right. So the invitation is the same. They're both welcome to have a seat at the table. And so this, of course, represents the irreligious, but also the religious. And that's why this parable is really pointed at the Pharisees. Exactly. Whose hearts are hard. Because the cliffhanger is, is, is the brother going to come back into the party or not? And we're, we're not told. In other words, the question is, are you going to respond? That's exactly it's the question he asked, he asked the Pharisees, right, that are there grumbling. Are, are, you going to, are you going to be faithful? Are you going to follow God? So the cliffhanger isn't, isn't so much the end of the story. It's the actions of the Pharisees, yeah. right? Are you, are you going to come and believe and repent? Yeah. Because, right, Pharisees, they've done everything right, right? right. We see them anytime right there portrayed. I, I, you know, I, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. That's right. I tithe you. I do, did, yeah, I do all yeah. these, right? And because they're defined by their own righteousness. Yep. And and the older brother was defined by his righteousness. It's interesting, by the way, as I've matured through my faith, how I've felt as the younger son. Sure. And then realizing I'm the older brother. Yeah. And then at, and, and as my boys have grown, of course, you, you understand the love of the father. Yeah. And you understand that waiting, oh, and you so understand rich. you understand what it is to be, to be there and to wait, mm-hmm. because there's paths your children have to take on their own. Yeah, and all you can do is wait for them to come home. Yeah, beautiful, so powerful, you know. And and at the end of the day, the the point that Jesus is making, of course, is that that neither have it right, right? right? <laughs> that it's about Him and a relationship with Him. Amen. So you can try to go play the role of rebel and figure out life on your own and and be self sufficient, and it'll break you. Right. Life will. <laughs> bottom line, it will. Or you can try to be the rule follower and you can try to be the religious, but see, both of them are trying to manipulate the father to get what they want. Exactly. And so that's sin strong. As well. And so it reveals that, that heart. And so what Jesus is simply saying is, you know, I love this last verse of chapter 15. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. And do we rejoice, right? That Jesus can find and save both the rebellious younger brothers and the the religious hypercritical older brothers in the world. That's the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And Luke shows us that again, it's, it's for, for everybody. Yeah. That word all again. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) That word all keeps popping up. That's good. Speaking of Jesus being for all chapter 19 story of Zacchaeus. Again, you guys are all familiar with the story of the wee little man. And the wee little man was he. And yet, a lot of people don't realize this This is where we get really the thesis statement of Luke's gospel yeah. is from the story of Zacchaeus. So like Zacchaeus, we all have a great need that we try to appease through the ways Zach was going about it, right? Appearance, achievement, approval, affluence. He was a tax collector, meaning that that was his identity. He was trying to be all of these things, but none of them satisfy. So like Zacchaeus, we all need a great savior, but how do we get to him? Right. Jesus comes rolling into town and, and you know, I, I've really found it to be true for, for people trying to find their identity. There's a unique draw to Jesus, yeah. but sometimes there's barriers that keep people away. And so sometimes to, to see Jesus clearly, we got to climb a tree, don't right. we? To be able to see over the crowd, we've got to get over that crowd and, and note that Zacchaeus invites Jesus into his home. And so with a lot of my skeptic and unbelieving friends, I, I continually and perpetually challenge them. Like, you, you can't just look at Jesus or Christianity from a distance. Right. You, you need to see what he really teaches up close right. and to consider it seriously. Right. And Zacchaeus does that. And, of course, it changes his life. 
And so Zacchaeus, in response, right, to, to Jesus, is transformed. Prior to meeting Jesus, money was his identity. But now, what does he do? He gives it away. And that's a sign that he, there's been a genuine transformation in his heart because he's relinquished. It can be something else for you. It can be your achievement. It can be your job title. It can be other things. But for Zacchaeus, it was his money. Right. We all have our idols. Yes. Right. And what Jesus calls is to set down those idols and follow him because you can't hold on to those idols and, and hold it. on to Jesus. And that's what we see so clearly here. And so clearly, and he received him joyfully. Yeah. Right. I, 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 those words just when you think about what his life must be, because he was a chief tax collector. Yeah. Right. So right. not only was he a treasonous person. Right. He was the chief treasonous person. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, wow. Point. How, how you know, so when you think about how far this flips, it feels very Samaritan like. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we've got this this shocking look <laughs> yeah. again. Right. Again, how, sh- I love the word people, shattered. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Samaritans, tax collectors, you know, treason, you know, all these people now, you know, in the kingdom. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a beautiful story. And of course, we get that verse that Jesus came to seek and save, which was lost. And mm-hmm. here's an interesting historical footnote. Church history, not the Bible, but tells us that Zacchaeus was indeed changed and went on to serve faithfully. He actually eventually became the pastor and the bishop of the church at Caesarea. Wow. And so wow. just fascinating, you know, that, 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 you know, Jesus was changed this man's life. And so, and, and another thing, Luke gives us this in the context of Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. Right. And yet he didn't overlook spending time with somebody like Zacchaeus. Right. Well, again, the beaten half dead that lay in front of you. Yeah. Right. He was just he was just walking what he told him to do in the first place. Such a good point. Good Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. And then um, as we need to with each of the Gospels, let's take a, a look at the death and, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's some things that, that Luke really communicates. One is that Luke is clear about the innocence of Jesus yes. before Pilate, you know, that he did not deserve to die, yet he chose to die. He laid his life down. Uh, we get three of the seven sayings of, of Jesus from the cross earlier this year around uh, the time of Holy Week. We preached a series of the seven sayings. Three of them come from Luke's Gospel and are compelling, especially when you think about Luke's overall theme, the word of forgiveness, right? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, as we're going to see. That's a key theme. The word of salvation, right? And, and the word of, of commitment into your hands, I commit my spirit, quoting from Psalm 30, 31, 5. So by his death, Jesus shows us how to truly live in that depth of relationship, trust, and, and contentment and commitment with the Father, Amen. because that's the way we should live our lives, right? Into your hands, God, I commit my spirit. That's an everyday prayer, right. um, and we get that from the Gospel of Luke. Luke's resurrection uh, documents women, as the others do, as first witnesses, but you think in particular Luke as, as a trained historian, again, kind of back to apologetics. If there's going to be anybody tempted to edit out women right. as the first witnesses, it would be Luke, right. because he knew what, you know, testimony is acceptable in court. He knew the, the conventions of culture of that day. So it just deepens that testimony that this was really what happened because Luke left those women in uh, in his story as the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And again, elevating a marginalized group, Absolutely. women, uh, to having a central place in the gospel story. And then Luke gives us alone, alone gives us the story of the Emmaus Road uh, and the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, including that key and critical moment where Jesus goes back and interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Right, and there's so many places in the scripture where you go, you know, I would love to have been there when. Yeah. This ranks in my top one, three, <laughs> yeah. five. I mean, no I'm not doubt. sure where you where you put that, no but doubt. right? Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, just the, Jesus explaining 
the truth. Making all those connections. Right. I mean, and it comes to him, mm-hmm. and then he's standing there next to you. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, you know, unbelievable. And, and yeah. you know, one thing, to Brian, to that point, I, I used to think the same thing, and I still, like you, think the same thing. I would love to have been a fly on the wall <laughs> yeah. for that moment, right? But, but in that moment, I, I began to realize Luke wrote Acts as well. Yeah, and so to some degree we get that, don't we? Yeah, because that's then fabulous. we see how the early church clearly shared what Jesus had shared with them, yeah. and that's that's what we see in, in played out in the Book of Acts. Is these guys are constantly pointing back to the Old Testament. That's fantastic. So we kind of do have it if you draw it out. Not yeah. all of what he said in that moment, right. but you'd certainly have from that moment forward the early church understanding that Jesus had fulfilled all of these things. You know, and then last but not certainly not least, um, you know, it's interesting that Luke's version of the Great Commission includes repentance and forgiveness of sins. You know, that that emphasis on unpacking the gospel for people, setting the stage for the sequel of Acts, and, and ending with the ascension and exaltation of Jesus. Uh, you know, to be very, very clear about that. So let's wrap this up in the next couple of minutes. Uh, so hit about our 45-minute mark here with what we learned from Luke. One is that Luke's message clearly explains the good news of salvation. Amen. All the gospel writers point to it over and over again, but Luke really impacts it. Salvation is a key word, and he's clear that it includes both the removal of guilt and the bringing of forgiveness and the giving of the Holy Spirit, bringing new life. Amen. So, so there's this, this this dimension, this richness to salvation in the Gospel of Luke. A saved from and a saved to, yes. right? And, and, and we, we often forget that in salvation. We look back at what we were saved from, and we, we don't often look as much forward to what, what is the Holy Spirit doing in and through us. Yeah, yeah. This theme of forgiveness, right? Only Luke records the story of how Jesus forgave the woman who anointed his feet yeah. uh, with the ointment. Only Luke records that the Great Commission, as we just mentioned, including that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed from all nations. Luke's gospel shows us that forgiveness eradicates our past and the spirit transforms our future, which is so strong. Uh, Luke points to Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved. Again, thinking about the the time in which this is written, Luke wanted to be really clear uh, about this. And so he carefully documents the unique, fully man, fully God nature of Jesus. His logic as a doctor historian, is compelling and probably unparalleled you know, in the ancient world. Because Jesus is unique in his birth, death, resurrection, and exaltation, his saving power is also unique. Since no other person has been God become human, died and been raised from death to life, there is no other Savior since no one else possesses his unique qualifications. And he, he carries this on into the book of Acts, right, where yeah. he records the early church saying, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. Well, and that's done in a logical account, right? We see these kind of case for Christ, some of these logical presentations right. of the gospel, and this was the genesis of that, Yeah, right? The, the logical presentation of yes. Christ as Savior. Yeah, Luke, Luke there is a there is a thought process that's behind this, you know, that is well thought out and really airtight, right? You know, with the details and the things he includes to be sure that that no important detail is is left, um, you know, out. And so powerful. Yeah. And then, and then, in a unique aspect of Luke, in some ways, uh, you know, Luke shows us the work of the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, and so he portrays Jesus as, as having been anointed by the Spirit, his baptism, carried out his ministry in the power of the Spirit. He goes on in his second volume of Acts to give us the fulfillment of the promise of the coming of the Spirit at the day of Pentecost and the Spirit's role in the spread of the gospel. Well, and being, I've been Baptist my whole life, so I can say things like this. You, know, Baptists tend to be kind of afraid of the Spirit. <laughs> right. And so I think there are aspects of Luke Acts that make Baptists pretty nervous, traditional yeah. Baptists yeah. pretty nervous, yeah. because, you know, it's, it's not something you can vote on. It's not something, although God works through however he wants to. But, right, the yeah. Spirit works as the Spirit works, right? right? And Jesus talks about that. And, and, 
that it is you almost like I say uniquely presented through the Luke Acts works of how the Spirit works, right? The almost the and I don't want to say mechanics because yeah. it's not a mechanical process, yeah. but there's a, a spiritual a spiritual. Um, well, I think Luke's always reminding us, right? That's a great. That's a great. He, he's point. always drawing back that curtain a little bit to that's remind us that this is the Spirit at work. That's a great point. You know, in, yeah. in the life and ministry of Jesus, it's there in all the Gospels. But Luke does a unique job in highlighting it. Again, I think because he was writing with the perspective of having a firsthand account in Acts right. to watching the Spirit knock down barriers to the Gospel and what yeah. the Spirit did. He, he, you know, he's showing us how the Spirit was at work all along. That's fantastic. And then last, of course, the big point, Jesus is the Savior of the whole world and the focus of our mission. So Luke depicts Jesus as going out of his way to honor those whom the world despise, to to befriend the friendless and to include the excluded, the sick and suffering, the women and children, the poor and oppressed, outcasts and insiders, Samaritans and Gentiles. And so it's beautiful because it's not Jesus showing favoritism to one group over the other, but it's Jesus including and being compassionate towards and caring for all people groups. And a message for us today. You use that as divisive as the world is right now. There is not an us and them, right? There's only Jesus. Yeah, good. Good. So a couple of quotes to wrap us up today. One from the the historian Thomas Cahill. If Mark begins with his apocalyptic sense of the time that has come, and if Matthew has this overwhelming Jewish sense of the obligations of justice incumbent on all all those who live in God's blessedness, Luke sees Jesus himself as the theme. Jesus, the bearer of glad tidings to the poor, who, let's be honest, are so seldom the the recipients of good news. Jesus, the healer. Jesus, the liberator. Jesus, who enlightens. And Jesus, who frees. Mm -hmm. What a great way from just a historical perspective to, again, look at our synoptic Gospels and and kind of contrast those. Uh, And then John Stott, I love this. These then are the parameters of Luke's two-volume story, salvation, Christ, and the world he came to save, irrespective of ethnicity, class, sex, age, or need. God's love in Christ encompasses everybody, and especially those who are pushed to the margins of society. He reaches out to touch those whom others regard as untouchable, Luke's Christ is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Amen. And we sometimes forget that it's not just the poor and the destitute that are marginalized. Sometimes it's very wealthy people. Sometimes it's very powerful people yes. that are that are marginalized. And so, but Jesus went to all of those margins. Yes, all of those margins. Yeah, and so so, so should we. Right. So Amen. who has who has Jesus put in front of you today? And when when we love that person as God would love them, as Jesus would minister to them, then that's that's where our focus and our energy needs to be. Amen. Amen. Pray for us, Brian, as we wrap sure. up. Sure, Father God, we're thankful. Man, what a what a beautiful view. What a beautiful view, Father. So so help us see, Father. Open our eyes uh, eyes and our hearts to those who are beaten half dead in front of us, Father. And give us your spirit uh, within us to work in and through us uh, to seek and save what is lost and to bandage wounds and, and to, to bring people home. And so it's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.